yeah, focusing us on church relationships. Church relationships, or this fact that we are family uh, together. So how are we to conduct ourselves? How are we to be together as family? What does this mean? And that's what we will be uh, looking at in this, uh, this chapter 5. And with the Lord's help, I want us to, to do a, a brief overview of the whole of this chapter. So we'll be going through it pretty quickly, as you can uh, imagine. And then I've got several headings that will help us uh, through this. But I just want us to think of that main idea, church relationships. That's what we're looking at this morning. Church relationships, how we should relate to different people within the church. And, and the first part that uh, Paul concentrates on as he speaks to Timothy is with each other. So, so our first heading that I want us to talk about is how we have church relationships with each other. And we, we see these in verses uh, 1 and 2. Now, we've mentioned this before, but we need to mention it again so that we can understand what was going on. Timothy was considered culturally then to be uh, a young man. Now, in reality, he was older than most of you here. He'd been around about sort of 30, 35 years old, yeah? But culturally, in their situation back then, he would have been seen as a younger man. And very often, it wasn't until people got much older in life were they given areas of responsibility within uh, church, within society. And so it just seemed like this guy was very young to be a pastor. And as a young man being a pastor, he had to look after the whole of the church. As an elder of that church in Ephesus, he had to look after the young and the middle-aged and the old age. And so there can be a tension there, can't there? If you can uh, imagine this, this young man going and speaking to an older man. And, and I want you to think of it in that sense. And we're going to use Pastor Andrew as our example as an older man. So forgive me if you don't think yourself as an older man. For the purpose of this illustration, today you are an older man. Those of you that are younger than him, you probably can relate to it a bit better. Yeah? How do you speak to Pastor Andrew? How do you relate to him? What, what's the way forward? Now, in, in, in this situation, as, as Paul is talking to Timothy, some things have gone wrong with these older men. These older men may have been a bit naughty, a bit mischievous, maybe even a bit wicked. Maybe they were teaching wrongly. Perhaps their actions were unrighteous or unsavory. Perhaps they were being obnoxious. And we could never think any of those things of Pastor Andrew, could we? But just for the purpose of an illustration, hypothetically thinking, imagine if Pastor Andrew had said something from the front to you as a congregation that wasn't in God's word. How will we how should we, how should you, how should I respond to that? What should we do? What, what should we come forward and say? And, and we know from what Paul said to Timothy that the older man was not to be rebuked. 
So it would be inappropriate to, to, to jump up and, and, and shout at Pastor Andrew and say, you stupid old man, you've got it all wrong. And just by my saying it, I've got a quiver on my spine and I'm thinking about the conversation that I might be having with my father later. Because it's wrong, isn't it, to speak like that. It's, it's wrong to think like that. It's not the right way to do it. And so what Timothy had to do in this situation, we don't know what it was, but he had to deal with it appropriately. And just going forward and rebuking that old man would have not been right. It wouldn't have been showing respect. It wouldn't have been honoring the older man. Now, the older man may have got it absolutely wrong, and he may have been right out of line, and he may have been saying things that were wrong or doing things that were really bad. But to go and to just rebuke him was wrong. Timothy, as a younger man, had to go to him and encourage him. And maybe it was to say, can you just explain to me what you meant by that? I didn't quite get it. I didn't quite see it. Where was it in this passage? But we don't go shouting the odds. We go wanting to encourage them. Did you realize that when you do that, people can think that? Did you realize that when you act in that way, that person was, was upset? I'm sure you didn't want to do that. How can we help you? Can we? And, and this is what it's about. You see, he was not to rebuke the older man, but to encourage him as you would a father. You see what's going on here? Timothy is being told that the church is a family. We have been told that church is a family. And as we relate to the older men, uh, the older folk within the church, the older men particularly, we see them as fathers. And so we have to relate to them as fathers. That, that, that's how it is. And, and then Paul goes on and, and develops it further with Timothy. He says, treat the young men like brothers. And then into verse 2, the older woman like mothers. And then carrying on, the younger woman like sisters in all purity. And the reason that Paul was giving Timothy this instruction was because as a church, we are in Christ. And we're in Christ, and we're in Christ as a family together. All of you here who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, He is your Savior and God is your Father. Jesus taught His disciples to pray and He taught them to pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven. And so with God being our Heavenly Father, with God being the Father, the instruction here to Timothy was the church is a family. And as a church being a family, there is a way that you should be acting. Galatians 4 verse 5 puts it like this. Paul speaking to the Galatians tells them they were redeemed to those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, we don't come into church as a family. But as we are saved from our sins that separate us from God, 
then we become part of family. Sin separates us from God. We're all born that way. We're all born in sin. We all arrive in this world as sinners. We live as sinners. We start coming along to the church services as sinners probably. But then we come to realize that Christ came here. Our sin is seen in the breaking of the law. Our sins deserve punishment. But Jesus came. Jesus came to this world. He lived that perfect life. He kept the law. He was just. But he died the death of the unjust. He was righteous, but he died the death of the unrighteous. Christ, being sinless, did not deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus hadn't sinned, so there was no wages for him to take. There was no death for him to have. But he took death upon himself. He gave up his life. And on that moment on the cross, the remarkable events that happened, Christ, the Son of God, as a man was separated and forsaken from God. And the sins that we have done separated him. And the sins that we've done, the punishment that they deserve was laid upon Christ on the cross. And he did it to redeem us. He did it to pay the price for our sins so that we have been adopted as it said there, adopted as sons. We've been adopted into the family of God. And so those of you here this morning who are in Christ, those of you that are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as we look around and see one another, we are family. We're family. And, and as family, we, 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 we are then told how to behave in the church. We're, we're to behave like Family should behave. And so those that are older than us, we should treat like fathers and mothers. We should treat with respect. We should treat with care. We should treat with dignity. We should treat with love. We should look out for them. We should listen to them. And if there are times when things have gone a little bit wrong and, and they've gone off the road as they should be walking... And something needs to be said. It needs to be said by the right person in the right way. Not as a rebuke, but as an encouragement to bring them back on the right way as they're going. As our brother Scott was leading us in prayer earlier, he took us to Christ as an example. And, and Christ's example here on the cross is of his attitude to his mother. Christ is suffering for our sins on the cross. Christ is going through the wrath and the torment of God upon him. We can not understand the full magnitude of that, but just the fact that he's there being killed, struggling for breath, lost his dignity in shame. And in that moment, as John's gospel tells us in chapter 19, 26, it says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold 
your son. That's how Christ, the man, God-man on this earth, cared for his mother. In, in his insane pain, in taking on your and our sin, at that same moment he had the clarity of mind and love and respect and compassion for his mother that he looked on and made provision for her in his death. In, in all probability, as we understand it, Jesus was Jesus' mother, Mary, was probably widowed at that stage. And he, as the oldest son, would have the responsibility of taking care of her. And out of that compassion and love, he handed over that care to John, the disciple who he loved. And we would do well to remember this, wouldn't it? We, we, we need to, to, to work out how we speak to the older folk around church. And, and for you youth who are full of life and full of energy and full of excitement and, and change doesn't bother you and new technology is, is nothing to you, for the older folk this is difficult. And we need to respect that. And we need to help that. And we need to encourage them through those changes. need to give them time and eat with them and visit with them and and because there's only a couple of older people in the church they're going to get inundated but you're not always going to be in this church are you you'll be in churches in the future where there are a lot more older people and and you have we have this responsibility and and when they're wrong about something they won't think they are but when they're wrong about something don't give up on them don't shout at them. Don't rebuke them. Encourage them. And, and, and older folk, you've got a, a, a beautiful responsibility and, and duty to remember that you are like parents and fathers and mothers to the young one. It's, it's a two-way thing. And, and so don't provoke the children to wrath. We, we know that from God's word. But encourage them. Counsel them. Pray for their development. Look on at them. Be with them. And then we have a very practical arrangement here for, for, for Timothy when dealing with younger ones. Dealing with people the same age. Dealing with younger ones. How are we to deal with those that are younger than us? They, they are siblings. They're brothers and sisters. We must look out for each other. Very often what happens when, when folk come to Cyprus from, from Africa, and, and you'll know this, is often you don't come by yourself. Often you'll come with a sibling, won't you? And We've seen that in, in, in church life and family life. We've had little family units come across. And, and why, have, why have your parents sent you with a brother or sister? Because they want you to look out for each other. Or maybe there's a cousin already here, or an uncle already here, or someone the family knows, and they send you to, to be with them, to be looked out for them. And, and that's what we should do as brothers and sisters within the church. We should look out for each other. We should be caring for each other. Now, I'm sure we, we've all seen dysfunctional families. I'm sure you've experienced families where there is no respect for each other. 
I'm sure you've seen families who have had epic arguments in public. And you haven't been sure whether you should watch because it's a spectacle or whether you should walk away in embarrassment. And, and you've seen families who drag each other down. That's not the family that we should be as a church. As a church, we shouldn't be dysfunctional. But as a church, we should do all we can to be Christ-like. Christ gave us that example of how he cared for his mother. Christ gave that example of how he cared for those he saw as his brothers and sisters, the disciples. That's what we'd be to be like. But then Paul has a particular emphasis to Timothy, particularly in regard to the young woman. And it says to act in all purity. To act in all purity. One of the books that I was reading, the guy said it so helpfully, I just want to quote him directly. Timothy must not play games with their affections, flirt with them, or look at them lustfully. Timothy must not play games with their affections, flirt with them, or look at them lustfully. See, the reality is it's not just Timothy that's told to act in all purity. This is for all of us. And and, and you know that we've just recently had our student seminars, and you will know that we had that time uh, of, of, of looking into relationships and, and having talks and discussions and teaching on that, and you will know that we had questions and answers. And it would seem from some of these questions that we had given to us that maybe some of the brothers here have not been acting in all purity as they should. Maybe we've got some remedial work to do here. You see, girls in the church should have nothing to fear from their brothers in Christ. Nothing to fear from their brothers in Christ. Their intentions should be pure and open. And guys in the church should not be confused by their sisters in Christ. Girls, you can confuse men. And you may say, I don't know that I'm doing it. I'm not so sure. But your intentions, girls, should be pure and open to we all have responsibility here because as another commentator put it adultery among Christians is tantamount or the same as incest and that's hard hitting isn't it that's really hard hitting 
And so we need this purity within the church family and we need to work at it. And yes, it's particularly aimed and sentenced there is Timothy with the young ladies and I acknowledge that and I exhort you young men to take that on the chin and ask God to help you. But I want to extend it out to the whole of the church. We are brothers and sisters. We have mothers and fathers. There needs to be honour. There needs to be respect. There needs to be purity. We need God to help us in this because we are all family. And the beauty and the importance of being family together is we look out for each other and we encourage each other. And the dysfunctional family is of no blessing to its nuclear self. But the family that is walking in this Christ-like way is a blessing. The girls and the guys can come to church and be with their brothers and sisters in Christ with no fear. The old folk can have the encouragement of knowing the younger ones with their energy and excitement will look after them. And the younger ones will know that the older folk have got their back, encouraging them, exhorting them, and teaching them in God's ways. The family imagery is what God wants us to be like as a church together you have to work at it but we can do it to God's glory and in his help remembering that he is our heavenly father and remembering that Christ paid the price so that we could be family together they say that uh, you can tell a lot about a society by how it treats its vulnerable how it treats the needy and, and 2,000 years ago, there were, there were none so vulnerable as the widow in society. The times were, were very, very different then. And when a, a wife lost her husband, she would potentially lose her status in society. She would potentially lose her property. She, she could lose pretty much everything. And so... This next part of, of God's word here in, in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 13 through to 16, we see how we relate with the needy, how the church should relate, how we as a family should relate with the needy. And uh, in, in these verses, Paul was telling that the church and telling Timothy that the first people to have responsibility for the widows is their own family. That the first responsibility to those widows to take care of them was their own family. The children or the grandchildren were there and they were called on to look after their own mother if she had lost her husband. Now you think that would go without saying. You think, well, that would just happen naturally. Well, it doesn't. And it still doesn't happen naturally nowadays. And so there's an exhortation here, and it's in keeping with the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is the only commandment with a promise. Exodus 20, 12, we are told, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And, and we can see this now, and we need to take this on board. As, as family as natural family, you have a responsibility to your mums and to your dads. 
And the first point of care for a widow should be their own family. We saw that vividly with Christ on the cross. He was taking care of his mother to provide a home for her. Now then, the, 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 the responsibility of this extends and extends to, to us here and now. And I believe that we have a responsibility to look out for our relatives. And verse 8 is very strong language. Verse 8 says that if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, if there's an exhortation that we need to hear, and it's said loudly, that is it. Just in, in the last few weeks here in Cyprus, there's been some really horrific revelations about low standards and lack of respect in, in some of the old people's homes in the island. It has shocked society. It has embarrassed society. And people have been left asking the question, how could this happen? Whose fault was this? And, and some people want to blame the government for lack of investment. And some people want to blame the owners of these establishments. But who put those old people into those old homes? Who should be visiting their mums and their dads in those homes? You see, we're all too quick to point a finger at who else's fault it is. When in reality, if you don't provide for your relative, especially the member of your own household, it is like, it is like denying your faith. And you are worse than an unbeliever. And so for, for many of you young people here, your, your parents haven't got to that age of needing care, but one day they'll get there. And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to take it? Because God's word is telling you clearly here that you have to do something about it. Now, it may not mean that you have to do that caring yourself. That may not be possible. But you need to make sure that your parents are cared for. I remember hearing from my, my parents and my dad was concerned about my grandparents. And he was concerned about my grandparents in the context that he was being called to Cyprus to come here, to do the Lord's work here. And, and if it wasn't for the fact that my Auntie Ruth was in a position to be able to look after my grandparents, I'm not sure my dad would have felt free to be able to come here. And so although he wasn't physically able to provide the care himself, he knew that the care was being provided. So I'm not saying you've got to go and live with your parents or your grandparents. But what God's word is saying is you've got a responsibility to make sure that they're cared for. And not, and not just turn a blind eye and not just put them into any old home or any old way. But there is a, a tragic situation. Uh, and that is when there are those widows and there's no one there to care for them. They have no family. 
that they have no children around them. And then what happens here is Paul puts that responsibility of those vulnerable and needy people upon the church family. And so as church family, we have a responsibility to the church family. The Ephesians had a responsibility to look after those, as it says in the passage, who really were widows. If they've got family, the family should be looking after them. The family should be exhorted and encouraged to do that. But if they haven't got it, then the reality was the church should be looking out for them. The church family should step in where there is no natural family. And that was what was happening in the early church. That was what was happening in Acts chapter 6. That's why we read Acts chapter 6. They were, they were looking after the, el- the, the, the widows. They were providing food for them in that situation. And so we as a church have a responsibility in that way. We as God's children have a responsibility in that way. We have a responsibility to our own natural, physical family. And then we have a responsibility as a church to our church family. And in this particular example and in this particular teaching, those that were in need were the widows. I don't think we have any widows with us in LPC. But we do have other folk with other needs and other difficulties and challenges. There may be health issues. There may be financial issues. There may be other situations. And as a church, we need to look out for them. We we, we were praying, weren't we, for those that are being in, in refugee situations, running away, and where we can, we should be helping. We should be at very least praying. And where we can, we should be helping in in a financial way and and looking out for them. But Paul is a realist here. And he also realizes that within this bracket of widows, there are those who are really needing care and there's those that don't really need care. And and so there's, there's some... Guidelines here given to this church in Ephesus, and they're to be cautious. If, if a widow was younger than 60, she was encouraged to get married. Now you may think, Paul, hang about. Who are you to go around telling people who are widowed that they should get remarried? Let's take a step back. Paul is the messenger. This is God's wisdom. This is God's wisdom, and God's wisdom is it comes through the Apostle Paul, and it comes to Timothy in this situation, and it comes to us now. There is a wisdom here. You see, those widows in that culture, in that time, that were younger than 60, there was a real set of temptations that they could have got involved in. There's a temptation to laziness. Laziness is not good. Oh, we don't have to work because the church will provide for us. And that laziness could lead to gossiping and chatting and being busybodies. And, and, and that having nothing to do and being of an age where, as we thought of yesterday evening in the seminars, there is all those emotions and hormones and desires. There's a temptation for sexual immorality. And so Paul just says, I would have the younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary 
no occasion for slander. There's provision for the ladies that are younger than 60 that have been widowed, and that is wherever possible, get married. Might not always be right, might not always be proper. These are general rules because there are temptations particularly to them. And it seems as though those temptations were no idle threat. Verse 15 says that some have already gone that way. And even the, the older ones who were to be helped, they, they should be helped and encouraged to live in an appropriate way. You see, there, there, were, there were some who were living a very indulgent lifestyle. I, I don't know if you've heard the expression, a merry widow. Mummy Daphne has, she's the only one that smiled. But A, a merry widow is, is someone who is actually seemingly enjoying the fact that she hasn't got a husband anymore. The constraints of life and that fact are not longer on upon her. She is self-indulgent. She goes around gossiping, drinking tea, doing lunch. Uh, maybe even with the context of the scripture here, uh, being sexually immoral and possibly gaining uh, finances from that in, in prostituting herself. And she's dead even while she's alive. And those people shouldn't be helped financially by the church. They should be helped spiritually by the church. But financially, that's not the right time to help them. When they get back on track, when they are living in an appropriate way, then we can help them as a church. And so this passage is, is saying we need to have great wisdom in how we provide aid and help people. Sometimes the best help you can give to someone is saying, no, I'm not giving you money. Get out and work. and Provide work for them. Find work for them. Help them to work. We have to be wise in how we do it. And you see, these widows then were just a huge blessing to the church. They weren't a drain on resources. The church had responsibilities for them. But these ladies, it seemed, in, in their old age, without having families around them and those things, they could take time out to look out for people. They could take time out to pray. And so as the church looks out for its widows, the widows then look out for the church. And that idea of family comes in again, doesn't it? And I think this very much extends to us, that this principle lends itself to all the vulnerable. And, and James underlines it in, his, less, in his, his letter. James says, religion that is pure and undefiled by God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep one unstained from the world. For many of you, 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 you've moved away from your family and, and you're thousands of miles away from them. We have become, we are your family. And, and as a church, we have a, a welfare team that's that set aside to, with resources to look out and help those that are in need. And so if you have need or if you've got concerns that others have need, as God helps us and enables us, we want to help. That's what we should be doing as a church. We have pastors and mummies within the church family. As God helps them, we'll talk and support and guide you as family together. We're to take care of each other. 
We're to look out for each other because that's what family does. And that's what God as our Heavenly Father wants us to do. Paul then goes on to teach about relations with leaders and I'm going to move through this one pretty very very quickly. He tells us how the church should treat, treat their leaders and it tells us we should reward them generously. How we should reward them generously. Verse 17, let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now this doesn't necessarily mean double pay, but they should not have to worry about their financial situation that it gets in the way of the tasks that they're called to do. They should have a clear mind there to be able to do it. I've heard horrible stories of where churches have decided the best thing they can do for their pastor, their leader, is keep them below the poverty line because that will increase their faith so they keep praying. Uh, And as the church treasurer drives out of his car park in his Range Rover and eats his 17-course meal, we realize that God is not happy with that. It's not for the to be indulgent with these elders, but it's look after them, take care of them, pray for them. And we're also told how we judge them. We're to judge them fairly. Verse 19, do not omit a charge against an elder except for on evidence of two or three witnesses. Those in leadership are, are apt to having charges laid against there's no room for a witch hunt but also there's no room for sin to be hid under a carpet you see it, it, it grieves me when I hear of pastors who've fallen into open disgrace and, and as they are disciplined as they are no longer able to to lead their church and hold that office of responsibility. It serves as a warning to me and to others. It it grieves us. It's a serious thing. And it should only happen if there are evidence of two or three witnesses and it goes through that proper process. But but I think what, what grieves me more is when pastors, so-called pastors' sin are in the open and the church continues as if nothing is wrong. And I'm sure you've sadly seen and heard that, the adulterous situation and the pastor's still there and his other bit on the side is in the congregation and his wife is discarded and it happens and it is shocking and it is wrong. And so there is provision within the church that if an elder is not acting as he should be, they should be judged, but it should be done fairly. It should be done righteously. Evidence of two or three witnesses. And then if there is deemed that they are doing wrong, then discipline needs to be done in a righteous way so the rest may stand in fear. You're looking for restoration. They may never be restored back to their position as pastor or elder, but restored in their standing with Christ as a believer. And it needs to be done in a way that others may stand in fear. And also how we appoint elders and pastors. We should appoint them carefully. 
do not be hasty in the laying on the hands or taking part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. And in the context of, of what Paul is, is saying, and in, in the context of how Paul uses his words, the laying on of hands here is talking about appointing elders, just in the same way as the deacons were appointed there in Acts chapter 6, which we read earlier. And so when we're thinking of appointing elders within the church, it's a serious thing. And then it should be done prayerfully. And it should be done carefully. And it should be done in haste. And, and I apologize because we're in the process now of developing this and, and thinking and, and praying about elders. And I don't think it's happening quite as quickly as it should have done because of the, the, the situation that I've been through over this last couple of months. But we shouldn't be doing it in wrong haste and pushing wrongly because it is so important to get the right person, the right people in the right place. Because the wrong person as an elder could do so much damage to the church. Although there's provision for judging elders fairly, we never want to be in the position of having to judge them. That's an awful place for the church to be. So how do we avoid that? We avoid that by not being hasty in the laying on of hands. And we avoid that by praying for our elders and asking God to keep them pure. And to enable them not to take part in the sins of others. In the correlation of this chapter, if you've been following it through, you'll be getting excited. We've come to verse 23. The verse that I'm sure all of you are wanting to, to work out what it means. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent ailments. We're going to be discussing that tonight on Zoom. It's not part of this morning's sermon. But we will, we will be there. So if anyone wants to find out about that, come back on Zoom at 7 this evening. But this passage finishes with these last two verses. The sin of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, even those that cannot remain hidden. Friends, what are we going to be known for as a church? Will we be known as, as a family with good works? Or will we be known as a church that has sin? Even if it's hidden, it will come out at some time. And how about as an individual? How are you going to be known as an individual? In Christ. Is it your good works that are going to shine out? Is it the fact that you are living as a family should do in, in your natural biological family and living as a family in your church family? Are you doing good works? Or are you going to be known for your sin? Friends, some sins are there out in the open and they're conspicuous. But all sin is going to come out sooner or later. And just hiding sin is not the answer. And just masking sin with good works is not the answer. The only answer to our sin is if Jesus has paid the price for it on the cross. 
And if he's paid the price for it on the cross as a church family and as individuals daily with his help, we should be fighting sin and aiming to do good works. Open or hidden, it doesn't matter. But good works to God's glory and for the blessing of us as a family. Amen.